Today is Wednesday, October 18th, 2017. Time for episode 32 of the Barnhart Podcast. It's the middle of the week. We just did a show yesterday. What's going on, Anne? It's crazy. We're going to try to kick up the frequency a little bit. Um, No promises. Don't hold us to anything, guys. But we hear the feedback and... um, We've we've been doing one or two shows a week, and now I think we're going to try to make an effort to do two or maybe even three shows a week. And um, I think also uh, Super Nerd and I talking about this, that maybe it would be better to just instead of having <laughs> we make we make these lists the bet the best laid plans of lice of lice and men ha 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 of mice and men um we make these lists of two or three topics for each show and then you know we're lucky we're lucky if we get two done and so we just have all of these things that just keep rolling over and rolling over and rolling over so now we're going to stop self-sabotaging to a certain extent i hope and we are going to just have one topic and we're going to just beat the horse until it is until it is not just dead but but ground into into horse hamburger so we'll we'll see if we can do this i think in some part of the world they call those big macs but we've had plenty of com- <laughs> we've had plenty of mexico, uh, feedback spe- special special big mac in mexico we've had plenty of feedback where people are saying more podcast more podcast and you know definitely we had an email today talking about somebody saying it's it's great for listening in the background uh, the specific quote that made me laugh out loud stimulating conversation while scrolling scrubbing the toilet. So there are people who, um, who, yep. who just love yep. listening to the podcast while they're doing other, other topics. Now on the last podcast, we talked about the, uh, certain elements, people, organizations, whatever they may be, um, probing and testing to see what the reaction of people are going to be. So for example, you, mm-hmm. you mentioned the loudmouth woman in the, in the back of the church on her speakerphone. Uh, mm-hmm. There was a recent case in Indiana of all places where a mom brought her girl to first communion dressed as a boy. Uh, is this mm-hmm. a transgender thing? Is this just trying to be obnoxious? What's going on with this? Uh, probably a little bit of both. Um, I don't know if this is an organized thing that these these sodomite and, tra- and transgender groups have actually organized and done, or if it's just a result of you know the culture just swirling down the toilet. And um, but but when I saw this, um, I thought this would be a really good segue coming off the last podcast where we were talking about. Like Super Nerd said, you know, the fact that I had to confront this woman who was clearly, clearly probing and trying to see what the response would be um, in order to maybe potentially target the church that we were in um, for, for future operations, you know. And it seems to me that this is what we should be expecting in, in particular from these sodomite groups, um, I, I am shocked that we haven't yet already seen things like men in drag presenting themselves for Holy Communion at Mass. Um, maybe we haven't heard anything about it because, you know, people in Novus Ordo land, they don't even bat an eye at that anymore. Um, I'm surprised that we haven't seen things like um, – Two, two men or two women going in the communion line and then right before they approach to receive Holy Communion, you know, doing something just disgusting like kissing each other with their mouths open or something like that. Just, just to prove that they're in mortal sin, basically, is what they're trying to do. To prove that they are in unrepentant mortal sin, let's call a spade a spade, and then present themselves and and just baiting, baiting a priest to refuse to give them Holy Communion. This is going to start happening. This is the criminal mindset. It is a criminal mindset. So, I mean, I I don't know what you would call the woman that I had the confrontation with a few days ago. Um, For lack of a better word, just to put a kind of a general term and a general general sense to it, let's call her like – like a gypsy, the gypsy mindset, which is a criminal mindset, you know, manipulating, conning, um, so on and so forth. And, and I, I use that term because specifically because she, she was pregnant and she kept saying, Oh, I'm pregnant. I can do whatever I want. I'm pregnant. I'm pregnant. It's that kind of, that's a con. That's it. That's a stone cold con right there. And what you have to understand is that Again, going back and you know harping again on diabolical narcissism, but it's the it's the over it's the overarching pathology. So if you look at you know criminal con artist hustlers who are looking to probe a Catholic church and see if they can roll over the priests and and 
and blackmail the priests into either giving them 50 or $100 a day, or they're going to disturb the liturgy or disturb the mass, something like that. Okay, that sort of, that sort of criminal psychopathic mindset is derivative of diabolical narcissism. Obviously, you purge yourself of all love, you purge yourself of charity, all you care about is yourself running your hustle, getting your money, getting your power, and and, and then to a certain extent also just just hurting people. These people derive tremendous pleasure and satisfaction from hurting other people. They enjoy it. Um, and it, again, it's hard for a morally sane person to comprehend anything like that. In fact, for a morally sane person, it's exactly the opposite. I mean, you know, the thought of you, um, you know, just in, in normal day-to-day social interactions, not when you're ranting and raving on the internet as one does, you know, but when you're just in your day-to-day, you know, going out, going out, doing the shopping, eating in a restaurant, going to church, anything like that, the notion of you, you know, hurting and disturbing another person, making another person feel uncomfortable. I mean, this is just, this is just abhorrent to a morally sane person. These people are not morally sane. And that's what this probing is about. That's what these sodomites, these sex perverts, and these social justice warriors, because it's all of a piece. Let's face it, it's all of a piece. Derivative of the same pathology, diabolical narcissism. They enjoy this business of, of hurting people and making people uncomfortable and disturbing people. And, you know, not, not in, the, in the good, healthy sense, in the sense of, you know, telling people, telling people the unvarnished truth. That can, in a sense disturb someone. That's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about harassing people. We are talking about just senselessly harassing people just for the sake of doing it. And then eventually, um, because they, they believe that they're going to get money out of this or power out of this or something or something like that. So these sex perverts and these, you know, I, I, I don't know who the mother of this child is where they dress their children up and drag and do this. I don't know if the mother is a sex pervert or not. I don't know what the situation is, but it's clear that there is that mindset of I want to I want to cause other people discomfort. I want to disrupt a a good thing that's happening. And in this case of, um, you know, putting the daughter in drag to receive first Holy communion, this is, this is an attack against the church, the true church. Um, now here's where it gets interesting. And, you know, we can circle back into the discussion of anti-Pope Bergoglio and the anti-church that is occupying the same liturgical, uh, juridical, and uh, sacramental space as as the one true church. But sadly, it looks like it's just careening towards a full-on schism from the one true church. These people are doing this because they hate the one true church, and they are trying to um, prove their bona fides or advance the agenda or just be in solidarity with the anti-church. Because at this point, there's no denying that the, the anti-church is about ratifying ratifying mortal sin, um, ratifying sexual perversion. And, and when it gets right down to it, because it is a it is a Freemasonic at its core. It's a Freemasonic construct. And I still, this is one of the things that I need to just buckle down and do is put together and write a full essay on explaining what exactly is European Freemasonry? What What is the agenda here? What the hell is going on with this? Because again, so many people in the U.S., the former U.S., uh, myself included, you know, anybody who's basically Protestant probably has a grandfather, great grandfather, uncle, great uncle, something like that. Somebody was probably a member of some Masonic organization at some point in the in the 19th or 20th century. My one of my grandfathers was was a Mason. Um, and what did they do? They drank coffee, they played cards, and they did a presumably minor fundraising for benign philanthropic goals. Um, they were, I, I don't believe that the Freemasons in, in 
Kansas in the early 20th century were actively involved in what European Freemasonry is, which is trying to first destroy the Catholic Church and establish a religion which centers around man worshiping himself, man worshiping man. Um, At its heart, you know, that's what the Bergolian anti-church is about. It's about man worshiping man and the cult of man. Um, But, you know, that oddly enough, oddly enough, that always ends up turning into some sort of a totalitarian tyranny with one person at the center of it. Um, Right now, the the totalitarian tyrant is Bergoglio himself. um, But what prophecy says is that as this develops, And if, in fact, Bergoglio is the false prophet forerunner of the Antichrist, which it's just getting it's getting harder and harder to not think this with each passing day, um, what is going to emerge is going to be some sort of a secular leader. And then there will be this this satanic synergy between the Bergoglian apostate anti-church and this secular leader um, who is supposed to be a young, attractive person of um, Jewish heritage. But we'll, we'll see. We'll just keep watching and see and see what happens. But you can't deny any longer that the Bergolian apostate anti-church, such as it is, is very much Freemasonic and revolves around the self, the self worship, the man worshiping himself. Um, man is is the determiner of truth, and so each man has his own truth. Um, the co- the conscience of man has has primacy over everything. Um, the, the telos, the end of man. Well, let's be honest. Basically, what the Bergolian apostate anti church teaches is that the end of man is annihilation. I mean, there's lip service paid to some sort of a beatific vision, but let's be perfectly honest. It's all a completely worldly material um, mindset. I think the true, the true, because the beatific vision or heaven implies some sort of a supernatural power paradigm, something above man. And that doesn't jive with the with the Freemasonic construct of the worship of man as himself, man being his own end. What that necessarily implies is soul annihilation upon death. And so you you do whatever you want to do and, and you get your your kicks and giggles in this life on this earth because that's all there is. And then when you die, your soul is annihilated and lights out. That's basically what the position is. Um, the, I don't think any of these people believe in anything supernatural, nothing. Um, so you've got these sex perverts who are in the church and they're, they, they want to support the Bergolian apostate anti-church, that paradigm. And so they're going to do things like that because we're into the phase now where the Bergolian apostate anti-church is actively looking to purge all Orthodox believing Catholics, the, the true church. They're trying to drive the, ch- the true church completely out, completely into exile so that there's, you know, no, nowhere for, for us to go, nowhere for us to meet. They want us to be completely driven out. And I think things like this, these are actions that we're going to keep seeing, that these sex perverts are going to keep doing in order to challenge, confront, um, and, you know, like the quote-unquote gypsy that I had to deal with the other day. They're sizing people up, and they're, they're seeing, okay, who's going to fight back, who's going to lay down and die? Um, in terms of laying down and dying, I think the last, the last cardinal to lay, the most recent, I should say, the most recent cardinal to lay down and die is another one that people were, were crowing about being a, a great conservative. And that's this, uh, this Canadian cardinal who was actually considered to be in the running in the, uh, the false conclave after the, um, failed attempted faux abdication of Pope Benedict the 16th in, in March of 2013. And that's the, the Canadian Roulette, O-U-L-E-T-T-E, I think is how you spell it. 
And and he's been held up all this time. Oh, he's he's a really good conservative. He's really solid. Oh no, he's laid down and died on all of this, on all this Amoris Letizia stuff. Um, Chaput, don't don't be tricked and fooled by Archbishop Chaput of Philadelphia. Oh my gosh, that guy is 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 an unctuous, politicking. I, I just can't even think of a word. He's a, he's a small man. He's an extremely small man. He's intellectually small. He's small in every regard. Like, oh, he's written all those wonderful books. Well, no correction. His ghostwriter has written all of those wonderful books. And they were politically expedient, he felt, at the time that they were published. Now, last week, there's reportage of Chaput crowing about how how saintly Martin Luther was and what a what an excellent moral example Martin Luther was Martin Luther was screwing a nun and and did all of this did all of this because he wanted to keep screwing the nun Katerina von Bora um what are you talking about Luther Luther said things like our Lord committed adultery on three or four different occasions with Mary Magdalene, the woman at the well. Oh, yeah. He told Luther explicitly said that our Lord fornicated and committed adultery himself. I mean, the, the, the quotes that you can pull up from Luther are just they're Weinstein-esque almost. There's a quote from Luther, a very famous one that says, um, if the wife isn't willing, let the maid come. Meaning, if your wife turns you down in in the marital in the marital bed, then let the maid come. I mean, th- this is the kind of depravity that we're talking about. And Chaput, who's just a dimwit, is going out and saying that Martin Luther was this excellent moral example and led such a saintly life. And you just you read this and you just can't even believe. It. I mean, this is one of the best ones. Are you kidding me? That's why, you know, you, you just shake your head and say, we are in, we're in deep, deep trouble here. And, and what happens? The sex perverts come, and let's say they, they pull a stunt like this in front of Chaput or in front of Ouellette or, or one, of these, one of these neocon, neoconservative, faux conservative, but, but fully on board with the um, Bergolian apostate anti-church what happens when these sex perverts pull some stunt like this and confront them and confront someone like Chaput or Ouellette they're gonna lay down and die they'll roll out the red carpet for him um it, it it's you can just see it all un, unfurling and see it see it all happening so whoever this this priest is at this Indiana parish who denied who denied this little girl first communion just just told her you know what you need to go home and you need to put on a dress or something you need to come back here dressed not in drag and i'd be absolutely delighted to give you first communion but of course not, because that that's not what this is about. And to these people, um, the Eucharist, of course, they don't believe in the Eucharist. The Eucharist is just, you know, a symbolic prize or something that they that they think that they're getting. And so, you know, you have to get you have to give me a participation ribbon or whatever. It's 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 the liturgical participation ribbon. It, it they don't they don't believe in the Eucharist. This priest has done done this little girl a tremendous service in in preventing her first communion or trying to prevent her first communion from itself being an act of sacrilege. Um, and at nine, is she morally culpable? Bah, you know, uh, a natural law to me says, t- says, yeah, I think she probably is. I think, I think, yeah, she's under the, the influence of her parents, certainly. But, it, you know, at some point, the natural law is the natural law. Are, are we just going to say that all of these people, that all of these young people today, none of them, none of them are morally culpable for any of this? If you say none of them are morally culpable for any of this because they've been propagandized and influenced by their parents and teachers and by television and so forth, what you're basically saying is that the, the natural law doesn't exist. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. And well, I, boy, I that's a... That they- are necessarily morally culpable for the things they are doing because in, in the story of this girl from Indiana, her her mother decided that as a result of being denied first communion, they decided to pull her and her sister out of this uh, parish, this Catholic school, and and, and uh, go to some other parish or some other school. Mm-hmm. This clearly is 
in my it, from what it looks like, I shouldn't say clearly because I, I don't know. I wasn't there. But it, it appears to me that this is something where the mom is trying to stir things up. And while the girl yeah. may not have full culpability for this, it's definitely going to warp her. And if she goes along with this and with what her mom is saying, she's just being trained to be this type of person. Whether she ends up being this or not, you know, we can pray that she, you know, rebels against her mom in a good way, I suppose. Uh, but it, it looks like this is definitely the agitation on the part of the mom. But the girl went along with it. So, sure. you know, there, there's two souls to consider here. Right. Well, it definitely sounds like the mom has an agenda and she's trying to troll the priest in the parish. And that reminds me of another high profile self-professed troll who has been in and out of the media of late, more out than in. Um, mm, Milo, mm. this this uh, supposedly um, conservative voice who is gay and uh, is very open with details about it when he speaks at college campuses, and he is also very bombastic and very insulting. But yet somehow this is some kind of a gay icon. All right, I'm sorry. It, yeah, probably both. Uh, but a conservative icon until it came out that he was not exactly opposed to pedophilia. But why in the uh, yeah. world would anybody on the conservative side think this guy is worth listening to? See, I, I've i seen this not just with this Milo Cretan, but, you know, for years now, as long as I've been commenting publicly on politics and stuff like that, you would see these situations where, you know, some moral degenerate would stand up and say a couple of conservative things and then the right or the tea party or whatever whatever faction you want to call it would glom onto this person just because they had said a couple of things that sounded conservative and seemed to bolster the argument oh and he's very Even, he's very well spoken he's got a british accent mm -hmm. which in the minds of a lot of americans means he has 50 more iq points than the average person he's very um able to think on his feet and of course when it comes to conservatives when you have somebody like this who is saying i'm opposed to abortion in all circumstances we pay attention it's like not many people say this much less an open homosexual but then mm -hmm. he follows it up with because if they can identify gays in, in utero, those are the ones who are going to be uh, aborted. So I'm opposed to abortion yeah. in all circumstances. Well, okay. I, I find it hard to, to roll with this. Yeah. It's it, it, this business of, of just glomming onto these people just because they say one or two things that fits, that fits the narrative. I mean, this is, I don't understand why people can't see that this is just a satanic tactic that the enemy is using to try to get us into these positions. And lo and behold, look who it is who has glommed on to this Milo freak. It's Michael Voris. Okay, of all people, Voris should understand this because Voris, we, we pray to God, is ex-gay um, by his own admission. Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God. Why? Voris, uh, more than anyone, should understand that someone who is still in, who is still wallowing in that sin, cannot under any circumstance, under any circumstance, no matter what he says, even if 99.99999% of what he says is right, it's that 0.001% of poison. You cannot you cannot glom onto these people and i mean i've i've seen things like this i've seen things like this in traddy land and we've talked about this before i think on the uh on the podcast unfortunately a lot of the liturgists today the the men who have really really significant expertise in in traditional catholic liturgy are raging sodomites and it doesn't matter it doesn't matter if everything that they say of, of you know all of the citations they make and and essays that they write about um this that and the other with regards to catholic liturgy it doesn't matter if if it's all right if these people are raging sodomites and a lot of them are sacrilegious sodomites who actually like to go after priests and seminarians it doesn't matter it doesn't matter you have to drive these people out they are toxic they will come back and they will they will bite you in the butt every single time they are tools of satan they are infiltrators this is why it's so important 
that young men and heterosexual men um, learn about traditional liturgy so that we don't get caught in this situation, which we're in right now, and it's frightening, where the majority of the people who have the knowledge and expertise about these traditional liturgies are sodomites. This is a horrible position to be in. And it, we're in this position the, the, the remnant church is in this position precisely because of this dynamic. If someone says or does something that's on side, people are, are completely willing to overlook even the most horrific, horrific sins. And I mean, sacrilegious sodomy, folks, is, is near the top of the list. Because, oh, well, in everything else, this person says they're they're conservative or they're liturgically conservative or they have the liturgical expertise. So, yeah, total raging queen. But we're, we're willing to just, you know, turn turn away and not deal with that issue because the conservative stuff that that this person says is acceptable. That's what this this Milo thing is. I mean, listen to what this guy has said, let me pull this quote up here. Um, do, 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 do. So Voris says, we, that is Milo and church militant are on the same page with regard to the unchanging teachings of the church and opposing Catholics who would try to change Christ's teachings to make them more comfortable. Well, I mean, how, how can you say that? How can you say that you're on the same page? Has this Voris guy, listened to what Milo says? Because he says <laughs> some blasphemously ridiculous thing not ridiculous, outrageous things about his lifestyle and priests. And I mean, he yes, yes he does, yes he does. And here here's the big one. I mean, this is criminal. And this this is a direct quote from this Milo person. Quote, the relationships with those older men have helped those young boys discover who they are and give them security and safety, provide them with love and reliable and sort of a rock where they can't speak to their parents. Unquote. This guy advocates explicitly for pedophilia and aphibophilia and says that adult men having sex with boys and teenagers is is providing them with love are, are, are you are you kidding me this this is satanic from the pit of hell and you have to cast this person out you can have nothing 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 to do with a person like this and i i don't care what he says otherwise i don't care it it, it that disqualifies a human being from decent human society you are you're done you're out you repent of that crap and you can come back and we can talk. You repent of your sodomy. You repent of all this, this business that you you brag about being really popular with black guys and, and you enjoy sodomy with black guys. You repent of all of that, all of it, and come back in, in ashes and sackcloth, shriven, repentant, we'll talk. But not one second before, not one second before. There's another quote of his that I that I want to address too. Um, it is to I'll just read, and I'm reading off of um, the the reason that this kind of got into the into the blogosphere are the shoe bats who who really are, are really impressive, and I think this is uh, Theodore Shubat who who called this out with Voris. And so I'm reading this off of the Shubat.com website. And Shubat writes, To expose this further, Milo, someone who promotes Hitlerian sodomite eugenics, is, quote, on the same page, unquote, with Church Militant and Michael Voris. Milo, the eugenist sodomite of the right wing, writes, quote, Gay men are smarter. We test higher for IQ than our heterosexual counterparts. Intelligence allows us to transcend our evolutionary programming, unquote. Okay, I want to address that because what this Milo person says about the average IQ of sodomites being higher, that's absolutely true. That's absolutely true, folks. The, the IQ curve on sodomites skews considerably to the right, Um I would guess that that sodomites probably are plus 10 to 15 points, um, maybe even more. I don't know. 
Um, but they, they definitely do tend to skew smarter. But li- listen to what he says. Intelligence allows us to transcend our evolutionary programming. This is what I've been talking about in terms of diabolical narcissists um, and, and largely sodomites being obsessed with the idea that they are elite, that they are superior. And there are, I, I've heard so many people tell me this, that in these, in these cliques of intellectual sodomite men, they openly discuss the fact that, that the fact that they are attracted to other men and they have sex with other men is, is because they are more intelligent and that they look down on men who are attracted to women and who have sex with women um, exclusively as being dumb and as being peasants and as being simple and as being, you know, not their intellectual peers. They honestly believe themselves to that their that their sexual perversion, that this this sodomite filth behavior is actually a manifestation of their intellectual superiority. Oh yes. Oh absolutely. Absolutely. And you have to be on the lookout for this. And, you know, Shubat is is calling this Hitlerian. I mean, it, it very much is. That was the mindset of the entire upper echelon of the Nazi party. Um, they they were all sodomites. They were and they were into drag um, and pedophilia. Um, or that's the reason why why Hitler um, had Ernst Rome killed. And what was that? That was the night of the long knives. Yeah. Was that the night of the long knives? Yeah. When, when he had Ernst Rome and, and all of Ernst Rome's followers killed because Ernst Rome was an, like an open bombastic open pedophile and, you know, publicly advocated for man, boy sex. And the rest of them say, you know, this, this, we got to shut this guy up, even though they were all sodomites and they were all, you know, screwing little boys and dressing up in drag with each other and so on and so forth. It's, it's, it's all of a piece, but Rome was too open about it. He was, he was openly publicly bombastic about it and so that's why they purged rome out of there um rome was the sa if i'm not mistaken and yeah, so that's the why SA they was the one that was the group that was liquidated in the the night of the long knives but i, I, I have yeah. to ask a question here if the if homosexual men tend to be slightly on the the smarter side of the iq curve mm-hmm. how in the world were the nazis if they were so into homosexuality how did they think their order was going to last a thousand years if there weren't heterosexual men to repopulate the whole thing. I've well, never thought it, about this before, but in, in, in this discussion, it's like, wait a minute, this is self-contradictory. How do you do this? Most of them were married. Understand the the paradigm of men being exclusively and publicly defining themselves as sodomitical. This is a this is a relatively recent development. Um, sodomy up until just a few decades ago basically existed as what we would call today bisexuality, you know, and most of the most of the upper echelon of the Nazi party, they were married and they had children. Um, Hitler, Hitler was so depraved. Um, Read the pink swastika. I I don't want to get into it because it's gross. It's nasty. But if you read the pink swastika, Hitler had exactly four sexual encounters in his entire life with women. Four. And Ava Brown was not one of them. He never touched her. We have letters of Ava, Ava Brown writing to her girlfriends just absolutely bewailing the fact that all all Hitler ever wanted to do was talk and he never touched her. She wanted to have sex with him and he wouldn't do it. He had four sexual encounters with women in his entire life. And after every single one of those four sexual encounters, every single one of the women immediately attempted suicide. Two were successful, two weren't. And I'll let you read the pink swastika and it, it describes why these women immediately attempted suicide. Um, it, it, it's, it's just disgusting. But yeah, up until, up until, what, the 1960s, you know, when everything happened, when the asteroid hit, that was basically the advent of this notion that, that there are these men who, ex, who exclusively define themselves by sodomitical sex, even in Brideshead, even in Brideshead, the sodomite clique in Brideshead, those guys 
with, with maybe the exception of Anthony Blanche, who was just so queenie he couldn't even get out of his own way. But all the rest of those guys in that sodomite clique were all pretty much expected that at some point they would get married and 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 reproduce and so on and so forth. Waugh himself. Waugh was a sodomite in when he was at Oxford and then got married and had a couple of kids and by all accounts was just an absolutely terrible father, not surprisingly. But um, yeah, it, the, the expectation was is it, that sodomy basically implied bisexuality. Um, and so talking about, what were we talking about? Intelligence and they, they believe that they are elite. They believe, oh, I know what I want to to repeat, and I've I've said this before publicly, but this is another one of those things that uh, people would be hunting to complain about. But again, I don't really care. Kind of the proof set for all of this is you say, okay, and one of the one of the key reasons why it's thought that um, boys descend into a, a sodomitical mindset is because they have an absentee father, or you know, just a, a disordered relationship with the father. The father isn't around. The father abandons them. The father's violent, whatever it is. And they end up just completely glommed on and 100% attached to the mother. And what people will say is, okay, if that's the case, if that's the truth, you have an 85% plus illegitimacy rate among American blacks today. In the inner city, it's even higher than that. Why aren't all of these black boys why aren't all of them gay and the answer is what we've just been talking about it's the iq because they don't they don't have those 15 or 20 extra points on the iq curve and so these little black boys are not sitting around navel gazing thinking you know occupying themselves all day long with thoughts of why doesn't my daddy love me you know stuff like that it, it just it, it doesn't occur to them. This, this navel-gazing addiction to introspection, um, this descent into this, into this completely narcissistic mindset, it's different for, um, for you know, what we will call the Milo-type gaze. Now, the blacks, they descend into the diabolical narcissism. Um, it's basically a somatic narcissism, meaning revolving around the body, and that's coming at them from the rap hip-hop culture. They're taught to be sexually promiscuous. They're taught to be just it just spectacularly materialistic. Um, all of that kind of narcissism is inculcated into them through that, that entertainment, that rap hip-hop culture that they have. Um, and but they it, it generally doesn't manifest clearly into homosexuality, but it, it, it circles back around because it's an interesting point. Because when these guys, when these black guys end up in prison, what do they all do? Well, you know, a man's got to do what a man's got to do when he's in prison. And if there are no women around, well, they they descend into prison. Um, homosexuality or bisexuality. And then when they get out of prison, they go back to women. So that again, that harkens back to what we were talking about before, that the manifestation of sodomy up until just recently was actually a manifestation of bisexuality. And so you do have, you actually do have quite a lot of black guys who who are bisexual. For example, Jesse Jackson. Uh, there was a reportage several years ago about a guy came forward and said, you know, I worked for Jesse Jackson for years and he was just constantly sexually harassing me and told me stories about how um, one of his teachers in high school Jesse Jackson would service one of his high school teachers in exchange for 10 bucks. And Jesse Jackson's remark was, you know, a nigger's got to do what a nigger's got to do to get to, to hustle, you know, to get money. And so there, there actually is more of it than you would think. Um, but you don't have the instance with basically all of the little black boys being just almost totally abandoned by their fathers by now they're not all gay in the milo sense of gay but there's there's a profoundly disordered um psychosexual comportment obviously let's just let's just talk about the disgusting promiscuity and the the disgusting heterosexual perversions and activities that the black culture engages in you know we 
we have to be careful and remember that there are just horrific mortal sins um, that that heterosexuals can can commit and do commit all the time and have been almost completely normalized. That's one of that's one of the sad things about all of this pushing of sodomy into our culture is that and and I've heard I've heard extremely conservative people say things like this. I don't care what my son does as long as he's not gay. So, you know, extremely conservative people telling themselves that it's okay for their their son to go off to college and be shacking up with his girlfriend. I don't care as long as he's not gay. As long as he's not gay. It's it's see it's that relativistic lowering the bar that as long as as long as someone isn't a sodomite, then as long as the sins that they commit against the sixth commandment are heterosexual in context, then that's okay. I'm not going to worry about that. See, that's the poison in all of this. But um, I did want to address that that quote by Milo about the about the intelligence and so forth. And they they really do believe that they're superior. I don't know why he why he thinks that. It, it, it doesn't strike me as as something who is someone who is more intelligent is going to come off with that attitude. It almost speaks to maybe just more just straight up narcissism than intelligence. Are you are you sure that the stats bear out correctly for that for that? <laughs> Well, um, uh, yeah, if you've ever if you've ever had the misfortune of falling in with a clique of of sodomite intellectuals, uh, a lot of them have, for example, photographic memories. And that that tends to project um, uh, an intel more intelligence than is actually than actually is there. Um, the, the ability to just recite, recall and recite facts and cross reference facts. It can be it can be very impressive um, when you're when you end up, you know, seated, seated around a table with some of these people. Um, but then but then it just it makes it all the more maddening to to know that they have, they do probably have additional IQ points. And if they have a photographic memory, then they have the capacity for so much learning. I mean, capacity that I would kill for. I'd kill to have a photographic memory. That would be awesome. I don't, not at all. Um, and it, 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 it just, it's, it's so frustrating to see people who have such capacity and have been given you know, gifts by God in, in terms of um, intellectual gifts and, you know, like I said, me- memorization type gifts. Um, a lot of them are really good with languages because they do have um, uh, photographic memory makes learning languages just a heck of a lot easier. Um, just having all that capacity and then just being so utterly, completely, totally depraved. I mean, if someone was a was just an absolute imbecile and they were depraved, I mean, you could you could almost kind of get your head around that. But when someone is of, of above average intelligence and then engages in these behaviors and lifestyles and and these these double lives and this perversion and and some in the context of the church sacrilege, it's just it's it's it, it'll drive you crazy and it'll. It'll also just break your heart. I mean, and I'm I in the context of this, I I think about um, how God must feel about Lucifer. I mean, Lu- God created Lucifer as presumably, you know, you you talk about the angelic choir and how many of them there are, and each one is is a different species, but there are choirs, and and Lucifer was apparently created as just the most spectacularly beautiful um of of all the angels and to have to have someone who was created and and given so much by god to then turn on god that i mean it's just you can't you can't even you can't even imagine but when you you look at intelligent people who descend into diabolical narcissism and then descend into these into these sexual perversions and so forth I guess uh, just about the only thing we can do is to look at this and say, well, imagine how God feels about Lucifer and God can relate. God can relate to just the, the disappointment and the disgust and the heartbreak and the, the sense of waste, just the sense of such intense waste, um, to have, to have so much capacity and to not just squander it, but to turn it into something just so spectacularly evil as 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 we've cited with these quotes from this Milo creature. 
that's certainly a lot worse than um, what I was going to cite as uh, some of the things that he's doing that are destructive. For example, um, the, the whole idea of the, the alt-right in American politics right now, there is this idea that is a reaction to the left identity politics that, that um, people like Milo and certainly several people on, 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 the, on the right seem to think, well, okay, if all of those people are ganging up on us, we need to form our own reactionary group. And, and you see the white racists getting involved in this and um, really the right reaction is to say, no, we are moral people. We are, are morally upstanding individuals. We do the right thing. We don't have to be a group. It doesn't take a village to do the right thing. And I, yep. I was going to say one of my, one of my arguments against Milo is that, uh, he encourages this, um, alt right, uh, in order to balance the alt left, which that it pales in comparison to your, to your complaints against him, uh, to be honest. But, um, that, that's primarily what I was going to talk about is how, how he, he sets up this, this false polarization that doesn't need to be there. Right. Well, I mean, you, exactly. You're, you're exactly right. We don't need to descend in, you know, let's, let's get down and dirty and roll up our sleeves. Well, you, n- no, you don't, you don't take up company with pedophiles in order to prove some point to people on the opposite side of the political spectrum. And I also think that people on the right think that this is, I think it's a form of virtue signaling. I think they're trying to passively show how cool and tolerant they are by saying, oh yeah, you know, I'm, I'm down with Milo, I'm down with the log cabin Republicans, wh- whatever else, whatever other conservative gay you, you want to talk about. Um, there's a there's a radio host. Um, I can't remember her name. Um, that's a lesbian, you know, proud lesbian. Oh yeah, no, I, it's cool. I listen to her. I listen. I listen to this person, the other person. I, I I never miss anything. Whenever there's a new clip of Milo, I watch everything Milo comes out with. No, no, I'm you. That's not. You're not proving some virtuous point here. You're not proving that you're that you're tolerant or that you have, you know, a, a, an open an open superior intellect that you're able to that you're able to um, wallow in the mud with pedophiles and sex perverts. Don't do this. Don't do this. These people need to be categorically rejected. And like I said, when Milo comes back in ashes and sackcloth, repenting of all of this and saying, I, I, I am done with sodomy. I'm done with all of it. I am absolutely despondent that I ever committed any of those sins. I am so sorry that I hurt God. Um, oh, that's another thing that he did. He he cited that kind of apocryphal uh, quote that is attributed to St. Augustine, Lord, make me chaste, but not yet. Uh, well, no, I was going to say sorry. that I, I've seen some clips where he, he says that he's open to doing conversion therapy, but not right now because it would be disastrous for his career. And to say something like that and to just yep. throw it like it's a joke. And and also things, uh, again, these quotes that he says that just make you wonder what what's going on here, where he tells people in in, in some of his uh, speeches, I, you, you need to become Catholic so you can go to heaven. Because if you're not Catholic, you're going to go to hell with me. I mean, I'm lost, but you have a chance if you become if, if you go to heaven. This is not a, a healthy, uh, a healthy message, and, and I, I really have got to wonder when he point blank says, "I'm just a troll here, and I'm just stirring up the conversation." I wonder if he's not worse than that. I wonder if he's a plant on the right to try to get people to be stupider than they otherwise would be, and and yeah. and really it comes down to, I mean, yes, the the moral the moral depravity of it. Stay away from that if you can be, but it's the stupidity that's contagious too. You, yeah. you get people on the right engaging in in identity politics, engaging in the idea that if if you can say something to insult the left, somehow you have or, or to make them mad, you know, melting the snowflakes and all this other business. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, it's fun to tick off the left. It's not in- incredibly hard because they have really sensitive feelings about everything, really. But did that actually convince anybody about uh, the truth of reality or, or the or the objective superiority of conservative ideas or the, the kingship of Christ? If you're not trying to project the truth and convince people, what in the world are you achieving by trolling them? And and that's where I was going to go with with, with my notes on on Milo. I had no idea you were going to go a totally different direction with this, but um, that's (laughs) my biggest complaint. I mean, when he goes into the the moral depravity of it, okay, I'm not going to pay attention to it. I'm not going to listen to it. I thank God I have not had 
uh, many acquaintances that I know who are, who are of that persuasion. I knew a couple of guys in the Navy who were like that because everybody on the ship knows if, if there's one or two guys on the ship, we all know it. And mm-hmm. you just stay away from those, those folks. But mm-hmm. uh, in, in civilian life, I haven't hung out with those people. So I, I really don't know. So if they're more intelligent, I don't know. I've never considered it that way. Uh, in, in my experience, yeah, I think I think that that is that that is true, um, unfortunately. And boy, what what I wouldn't do to change places with you to have never who to have never crossed paths with those people because they are so toxic. No, I'm, I'm not saying I've never toxic. crossed paths with them, but I I, I definitely oh, well, I, I definitely I know people that, who yeah. who are of that persuasion but i to say that they were definitely much smarter no i mean in my in my naval the beginning of my naval career actually was in the nuclear power program uh mm-hmm. these, these are people who operate the reactors once they get to the fleet and they were people who are bona fide geniuses photographic memory and they mm-hmm. were all star trek nerds to be honest uh yeah. <laughs> if there if there was any kind of um uh let's say uh, questionable persuasion it was the fact that you know there is no such thing as starfleet dude take that uniform off uh, put your Navy uniform on, not the Starfleet <laughs> uniform. And I, I'm not making this up. And if former wow. former military, former sailors, they're going to laugh at this because they've seen this. But yeah, that that's that's the the level. Wait, was of crazy it was I've it the seen. original series uniform or was it the next generation uniform? I have no idea, and I'm proud to say this that. This is very important. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, that's funny. I just know that when when the Star Trek guys start arguing back and forth, um, uh, Kirk or Picard, you just say Janeway and then run. So. <laughs> well said. Well said. <laughs> well, what do you think? Have we uh, have we beaten the source to death? Um, I, this is an interesting experiment, to be sure. Uh, I, we we definitely um, collaborated, or or we, 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 there was more lead time. I knew, I knew what the topic was going to be ahead of time, so I did a lot more research. Uh, I didn't expect to be <laughs> taking research in such wildly different directions, though. So. <laughs> This is interesting. It, it, and, and folks, if you like this, this let us know. If, or if, if you think this was a dumpster fire, <laughs> let me know. Uh, it certainly is, is a very different podcast. I, th- I think that much is obvious. <laughs> All right. Well, let's call it and put it in the can. And um, we'll see when we can uh, get back together and get our get our schedules to align and, and do another one of these. Okay. It'll probably be uh, beginning of next week. And, okay. And um, just schedule... Schedule's not lining up later this week, so the idea of trying to push this experiment to three shows in one week, not this week, but maybe in the future. Um, and if and folks listening, if, if you like this, questions, comments, feedbacks, please send them to podcast at barnhart.biz. This podcast is produced by Super Nerd Media, and if you found value in this episode, even if it was just entertainment, um, please uh, visit supernerdmedia.com to learn more. Uh, general reminder, the uh, benefactor masses for ends benefactors are set on Mondays, Tuesdays, Wednesdays, and Thursdays, as well as a weekly requiem. And until next time, what are your parting thoughts, Anne? Um, let's see. I think I should just re- reiterate my gratitude to all of the donors, all of the listeners, and especially to you, Super Nerd. Thanks for all your time and all your hard work and everything you do. Be assured of my prayers every day. I appreciate it. I really appreciate it. And um, you're in my prayers as well. Oh, thanks, man. Until next time, I am Super Nerd. And I'm Ann. Thanks, guys. God bless. 